And this week's Parsha, Parsha's uh, Vayigash, it really uh, it starts in the middle of the, of the story. At the end of Parsha's Miketz, the Gavia of Yosef was found in the Antachas of the Shvatim. And they were being brought back to Mitzrayim. And as they're being brought back to Mitzrayim and they're coming to face Yosef, so Yehud is very uh, subdued, he's very contrite. He says, Manadaber, Manistadak, Manadaber, Manistadak. Helakim Motzes Avoyin Avducha, right? Hakadosh Baruch Hu found Avoyin Hinenu Lachal Avodim. We're ready and prepared to be your slaves. That's what that's what that's what happened. Is what it entails. So we're ready to be your slaves. And Yosef, in the last pasuk in Parshas Mikay's answers, Chalilali. No, that's not the way it's going to work. The way it's going to work is Ben Yomin, the one who found the one who in whose bag the Gavir was found. Who ye yeli leevet? He'll be for me for an evet. But everybody else could go alul alul shalom Everyone, everyone else could go up in peace. And then this week's parasha comes in, Vayigash Elov Yehuda, that Yehuda comes to Yosef, and it says, Vayicha Abcho Biavdecha, don't get angry, which Rashi says it means that he's going to talk very strongly to Yosef. He's coming with a, with a knack. He's not as dude as he was at the end of Parshas Miketz. And the Archaim explains. And he says that the Shvatim knew that everything that happened to them in a specific way was based on something that they did. It was a Mida connect. Mida was to teach them a lesson. So when they were being all, when they were in the Havamina, that they were all going to be Avodim to Yosef, so they knew that in some shape or form it had to do with the Mechiras of, of Yosef. Even though they held that they were right, but there was some form, maybe they didn't do it properly, they didn't do it in the right way, but there was some form of Mida Kenegan Mida for the fact that they sold Yosef in the way that they did it. So that's, they accepted that, they understood that, and they were willing to be Makabal, and Yehuda was willing to be Makabal. But once Yosef comes along and he says, only Binyamin should come. Ba'atem alulul shalom obeisavicha. Only Binyamin. So Binyamin had nothing to do with the mechiras Yosef. So Binyamin had nothing to do with mechiras Yosef. Now they knew that it's not from Elokim Motzes Avducha. It wasn't because Hakadosh Baruch Hu found it, but it was Yosef on his own bechir was coming to make them trouble. So if Yosef on his own bechir is coming to make them trouble, now Vayigash Elovio, we have to deal with it differently. We have to change our mahalach. Whereas before we accepted it, but now we have to go ahead and we have to. Re- our approach has to be different. Now he's coming on his own Bechir. It's not because of Elohim Motzah Savoy Navdecha. So at this point you see that anything that happens to, to the Shvatim that was such a level that they were able to tell based on something what happened, what they did wrong and what they have to be misakin. There was a mice with Rebelli Lapian that he was walking up the steps and he fell down and he was sitting there. So the Talmudim came over and they came running over and they said, what's, what's wrong, what's wrong? He says, no. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I just need a couple minutes. What, what's the problem? He says, I have to figure out why Hashem wanted me to slip on this step in order to, to have to be misakin some. So I have to figure out, I have to go make a cheshben and nefesh on what's going on. There were people that were able to tell that if something happened to them, they were able to tell them what was the cause and what was not the cause. But there's an interesting point that the Mepharshim talk about why didn't Yosef right away, as soon as he had the ability, or as soon as he was able to, why didn't he go tell Yaakov and save him the tzara of the 22 years, and tell, tell Yaakov that Yosef, I'm still alive, I'm still going on. So the Ramban says that it was to be Mekayim the Chaloimis, right? That he wanted to be Mekayim the Chaloimis, that everyone should come down and bow to him. So therefore, he, he made the whole sivuv that that's what should happen. And the Kleyokar says, he doesn't understand the Ramban. What, it's up to Yosef has to decide? Let HaKadosh Baruch it's not Yosef's business. Why is Yosef getting involved in Chaloimis? If Hashem wants it to happen, let it happen. And therefore, the Kleyokar learns that the reason why Yosef did it was because he understood that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't tell Yaakov, he didn't want him to know. 
because Yaakov had to be Misak in his 22 years of not kibbutz over aim, so he had to have that tsar, and that's what Akadosh Baruch Hu wanted. So he understood that that's what the way it was supposed to be, and therefore he didn't say anything. But the Kleyoka says, but he doesn't understand what did Yosef do to the brothers? He's making the brothers crazy. Go back, come down with Binyamin, keep somebody in jail. Like, what was, the, what was Yosef's mahalach with that? So he goes through and he, and he explains that Yosef's mahalach was that each step of the way excuse me, was to be machaper for something else. Marshall. He said, Maraglamatem. You're Maragal. What was that for? Because they held that Yosef was a, was a Maragal to them. He was Maragal Bathim. So each step of the way, he put Shimon as an Evid. And he threw him into a bar, Rashi says, that there was a dafka bar, because Shimon was the one that took him into a bar. So Yosef's whole mahalach was, al-Rahmanis, he wanted to be machaper, and go ahead and be machaper for everything that could be involved in the Shvatim's lack of something, when they sold Yosef down to Mitzrayim. That's what he wanted to come and be misakin. So the question ends here, Yosef is taking Binyamin. So why did Yosef take Binyamin? What was, that? what was the kapar in that? What was Yosef's mahalach? I understand. We understand Arachayim, but the Yosef, why was he doing that? So we know it's a well-known part from the Beis HaLevi, that the Beis HaLevi says that after Yehuda's whole speech, so it says Yosef was Velo Yachol and he wasn't able to hold himself back, and he, told, and he revealed himself to his brothers, and he said, Oid, Ani Yosef, Ha'id right? I am Yosef, my father's still alive, and the brothers, Loin of Halo they were not able to answer anything. And the Beis HaLevi asked, what do you mean? The whole speech of Yehuda is that you should save Binyamin because of my father, right? That's the idea, I'll save my father because of my father. So what's Yosef's question, Oid Yosef Chai? Is my father still alive? The whole, that was the whole discussion. They knew that he was alive. And furthermore, the Medjur says that the Medjur brings on that passage of Oid Yosef Chai, Oid Avichai, that it says, that there'll be a time when there'll be a tremendous amount of busha and there's a tremendous amount of klima. And the, and the Medrash brings a Kavachaymer that the Shvatim, in the face of Yosef, right, who is the smallest of the Shvatim, they were not able to answer Yosef's Teichacha. So, us, when we come to Shemayim, what's going to happen to us? Each one is going to get a Teichacha, and we're not going to be able to answer. That's what the Medrash says. So, the Beis Halevi points out we don't see anywhere that Yosef gave the brothers Teichacha. He says that you don't worry, Akarish Baruch sent you sent me here in order that I should be able to provide for you. Where do we see the Teichacha of Yosef? So, the Beis Halevi famously says that there's a difference between Busha and Chlima. Busha is you did something wrong, you get embarrassed. But Chlima is a step further than that. Chlima is when your actions or upshlug your excuses, so to speak. A person, let's say, is, uh, somebody comes to him collecting money for tzedakah, and he says, I don't have any money. Right? He doesn't say, I don't want to give you. He says, he has an excuse. I, can't, I, I don't have any money right now. And then a few minutes later, he's buying something extravagant, and it's something which is not necessary, which obviously money is not really an object for this person, and this person sees him. So he's embarrassed because his own actions show that his excuse was not really true. So what Yosef, what Yosef was, that he was saying, you're coming to me, really, I have a right. We found the Gavia in the Ampachas of Binyamin. Technically, he's supposed to be the Ebed. That's really what happened. Now you're coming and you're saying that you sh- I should have Rachmonis because of a father, my father, my father, my father. But Ani Yosef What happened when you sold me all the way back? Why didn't you take this into account also? It's the same, in other words, your excuse or your reasoning that you're coming and you're asking and you're pleading me for Binyamin's case 
you did, you did the same opposite. You're asking me to do something which you did the opposite? So the Maisa is Muchach Minei Obey. You're, you're Muchach Minei Obey. And therefore, once he was Muchach, that was the Teichach of Yosef. He was showing them how in their own actions, they were Muchach Minei Obey. And therefore, that was the, that was the Teichach. So that's what he was telling them. I remember once I heard a story from uh, maybe 20 years ago from Rabbi Avi Shulman. He, he ran an Eshtos program, and he said over the following story. It was a non-Jewish story. And he said that there was a 63-year-old lady that was driving in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And she was going down the freeway. And uh, it must have been a, a slippery highway. And she ran into something slippery. And she flipped over onto the other side, onto oncoming traffic. And she ended up that the car was on top of her leg. And she survived. She felt fine. Nothing, nothing wrong. But the car was on top of the leg. And in a matter of moments, this car is coming the other way. They're speeding by. She knows she's got to get out. So she managed to lift up the car enough to get her foot out, and she was able to make it to the side in safety. Meanwhile, there were cars behind her that saw what was going on. This, this thing, it sounds like it's a long time, but it takes a matter of seconds, and everyone stops, and everyone sees what's going on, and they call the ambulances, and they bring it to the hospital, and she's fine. Everything is fine. She has a couple of fractures in her foot, but everything is fine. But the media would like to interview her. It's a tremendous story. A 63-year-old lady lifts up a car and manages to get to safety. It's a tremendous, tremendous story. They were looking for the scoop. And they all wanted to interview her, and she refused to give any interviews. She said, no, I'm not talking about it. And eventually, a day or two go by, and the other stories come in, and they forget about the story, and they move on to other things. But there was one reporter, I believe he's from the New York Times, that said, one second, there's something going on here. If it was just a simple situation where people know that when they're faced with adversity and they, get a, they, they have their backs against the wall, there's a certain adrenaline, they get a certain second energy, second wind, right? In the fourth quarter, you get a second wind of adrenaline to, to, to make it go through, right? So then, why wouldn't you just tell us what it is? Like, what's, what's the big deal? Okay, and it would have been a nice story for a, year, for a couple of days. We'd be able to write about it. She would have got her picture in the paper. Everything would have been great. Why didn't you want to give the story? It must be in his mind he thought that there was something more to the story, and therefore he kept after her. And week after week, he would call her. And after many, many months, she says, okay, 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 come down and give me an interview. So he was all excited. He thought that, who knows, maybe there's the aliens that came down, or she saw a lot, who knows what, what the story would be. And she came down, and it was an interview, which really you could have written the interview beforehand. Because he said, what, what happened? What was going through your mind? She said, listen, I have children. I'm married. I want to see my grandkids. I felt a certain, the regular thing that you would have expected a person to say. And he was very disappointed. And he said to her, he said, I don't understand. This is a simple story. What, what's the big deal? You could have told me the story a year ago without going through the nagging. and the, well, I spent so much time on this. So she said that when she was 18 years old, she had a dream of becoming a zoologist. I don't know exactly what a zoologist, but, some, some, but she was a, wanted to become a zoologist. And she went to college. And while she was in college, she met her future husband. And they decided that let's not wait till I go through my schooling. Let's get married right away. So she put her dreams of becoming a zoologist on hold. And she said, you know, I'll get married, I'll settle down, and then I'll go back to college and I'll become a zoologist. And sure enough, as most things go, she had a child and then another child, and she kept giving reasons why she can't go back to college and fulfill her dream of becoming a zoologist. I have to wait till the kids go out of school, then it was I have to wait for them to go to college, they need me at home, and all the excuses and reasons why she had to push off. And by the time they finished with all the kids and out of the house, she's 55 years old. She says, what, I'm 55 years old. I'm going to go now become a zoologist. So she said that as soon as she was able to pick up the car 
and lifted up and realized, she realizes that all of her excuses were not really excuses. Because if she wanted to, if she could have had the adrenaline, she could have had the energy, she would have been able to accomplish both. She would have become a zoologist and get married. And she realized, so she said, I don't know, she said this, or Avi, Rabbi Avi Shulman touched this, he says that since she was Mufroch Minei she couldn't talk about it. She just couldn't bring herself to talk about it. When you're, all your excuses are proven that they're, they're not true and they're really excuses, you can't face it. And therefore, she, she couldn't talk about it. So that's what really the Beis Halevi is saying. He's saying that they were, they were that's what maybe that's the pshat. Yosef knew that he wasn't going to take Binyamin. But here they have the same situation. Binyamin, Yosef, the, the brothers told you they were right. Right? And yet they had, a, they had to have a reason why, they still had a reason why, even though they held they were right with selling Yosef, but there could have been an outside reason. So now they're in this, find themselves in the same situation where Yosef was technically right for putting Binyamin in the jail, but they had to come up with a side reason. So that's the, put them in the same situation. That's what the idea was. He didn't, maybe he didn't even want to sell. Maybe he wasn't even going to keep Binyamin, but to put them in that same situation, that's the idea. The idea is that we shouldn't, the Pesach continues and it goes through the whole speech that Yehuda said to Yosef and it goes through many, many psukim. And there's not one thing that is said there that we don't know from before. The exact same, you know, we came down to Mitzrayim, you called the spies, we, did it, we, we, we talked about Binyamin and you told us we have to bring down Binyamin. There's nothing new over there that's even the Ramban asks, why is it necessary to go through so many psukim? What's it telling us? What's the Chiddush? What does it want from us? So, there's nothing there. So, the, so what, what, was the, what, what did we learn from there? What was, what was the message? What are we learning from the fact that the Torah tells us this whole conversation and this whole rehashing of everything that happened? So, the, some of the, in the Pasuk, the Pasuk says in Chumash, and then it says, and some of the Mepharshim learn that the Pshat is like this. If you have, you have something that's bothering you about another person, don't leave it at Bilbovecha. Do it in the right way. But if you're going to let something in your heart and let something go and you allow it to fester, so then who knows what's going to happen at the end. It's just going to keep growing and growing and growing. But if you take care of it right away, you get it off your chest and you'll speak to them in the proper way. Then it'll save a lot of arguments. Sometimes you'll have two people that have an argument. And if they would have cut it right then, it would have been over, and they would have discussed it, it would have been over. But since they allowed it to mushroom and to balloon, all of a sudden they can't get back together again, because there's so many other things, they don't even remember what the original argument was about. But that's what allows. So the pshat is like this, it says by the Shvatim, it says, When they originally had the machlekes, so it says, even though Rashi says it was l'shvach, that they couldn't be echad bepev, echad belev, but it says, they were not able to talk to each other. When you're not able to talk to each other, you're not able to communicate, what do you think, what do I think, why the reason why you did that, let's hear the other side, so then it could come to a situation where they could end up selling Yosef and they could end up killing. So the, the Medrash says on this Pasuk, it says, Vayigash love Yehuda, and it brings a Pasuk in Mishle, it says, Mayim amukim eitzah belevish. That means, and the Medrash says, it's a marshal, that if you have a pit, and in the bottom of the pit there's very clear and very nice water, but you have no way of reaching it. So what's the way to do it? How do you get there? You take a rope, you attach another rope, and another rope, and another rope, and you slowly, slowly work your way down to the bottom of the pit, and then eventually you'll be able to get the, to, to, to get the water. And so too, he says, the Medrash finished the fierce ice, and it says, so too Yehuda, he went slowly, 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 until he was able to reach the heart of Yosef, and, it, and they were able to get to that point where it says, 
So the idea, that seems to be the idea of the Medrash also, that when you have so, there's something that's in between them, there's a sikhsuch between the two people, you have to go slowly and go through each thing, what happened, to understand what he was thinking, to understand what you were thinking, and this way you'll be able to work things through, you shouldn't jump in and, and make an argument. You'll be able to slowly, slowly go through. So that's what the rehashing maybe of the psukhom work. You know, who was going, this is what happened. Then going through their whole their whole meetings and all their discussions and everything that they went through till this point to hopefully to get out what each person was really thinking and to understand where Yosef was coming from, to understand where Yudah was coming from. Like this, it should, it should, we should stop it here and we should figure out a way. And that's really the truth by every argument. If you have something that's small, the idea is to communicate and to say, you know, of course everything has to be bakavadik and in a nice way, but to understand where this person is coming from, where this person is coming from. If you understand that, then you won't allow it to mushroom, you won't allow it to balloon, and you'll be able to take care of any issues that you have right away. The Pasuk says that after Yosef sent down, they told, they told Yosef said, Ani Yosef, so he sent down Agol, he sent down to pick up Yosef, tell Yaakov about what's going on in Mitzrayim, so they came to Yaakov and they told Yaakov that Yosef is still alive, and he's the ruler in the land of Mitzrayim. And the Pasuk says, He didn't believe them. So why didn't he believe them? We know that what says that Yaakov was he didn't want to get comforted. And, the, and Rashi brings down that comfort only helps by Mason. Right? By Mason, then you can be comforted. It'll, it'll pass through your mind. You'll forget it. Time goes by. But if someone's alive, it'll never, you'll never be able to be misnachim. So Yaakov had some inkling that Yosef might be still alive. He was refusing to be comforted. So why did they come back down? Why is it that they can't, why, why didn't he believe him? What's wrong with the Shvatim saying he's alive? Why didn't they believe him? It, it, he only believed him, the Pesach says, that after it says, Vayaris Agolosh Asher Sholach Yosef, that when he saw the wagons that Yosef sent, then it says, Vatachi Ruach Yaakov Avim, that he believed them, and Yaakov was re- rejuvenated. Right? And Rashi says, what happened? What happened was, he was able to realize that Yosef was sending him a simon, because the last thing that they learned together was the parsha of Egla Arufa. So when he saw that uh, he sent them, what he, what, there was simon, so he knew that he was alive, and therefore v'atachi ruach Yaakov avim. The, there, obviously when you say that Yaakov Avinu didn't believe them, so the, there's two things in the Pasuk. First they said that Yosef's still alive, and then it says v'chihu moisho b'chol eretz mitzrayim. So what Yaakov, was, what Yaakov was not believing was he understood that Yosef could be alive. But when they said the second part of the Pasuk, and they said, that he had a hard time believing. What were they saying? That he thought that Yosef went down as a 17-year-old, he went down to Shetufezim and Mitzrayim. He said, there's no way Yosef stood strong in his ruchnius. And then he, right, so when he saw, they came down and they said, Yosef's still alive. He's the ruler of Mitzrayim. So, can you imagine what went through Yaakov's mind? Here, this poor boy is down there by himself in the land of Shtufezim, but there's no way that he stayed the same Yosef that it was. But when he saw the Agolos, Bayaris Agolos, and he saw that he's sending him a simon of what they learned, so then he understood that there was a, and Yosef was standing in the same Ruchnius that was, he was beforehand. There's a, a story with, they say over from the Vilna Gain, that there was a woman that got married. I think she was one of the, uh, Rosh Cole's daughter. And after a few weeks, the husband left. Nobody knew what happened, and she was sitting there as an aguna, and nobody knew what her, nobody heard from him, nobody knew anything about it. And a couple of months later, it might have been in a couple of years, come, a man comes back that looks like her former husband, and he says, I'm sorry, I feel, I feel bad I left, but I'm back, let's start again, let's start fresh. 
Right? So she was an Aguna, so she said, okay, the people were happy, though, you come back. And when he met up with his wife, she said, there's something, uh, something's not right over here, there's something fishy over here. And they started interrogating him, like, uh, what happened on the day after you got married? And uh, give us some information. They started going through all the little information. W- what happened to them in their lives so that only somebody that was actually there would know this information. And he, he knew everything. He was on the, on the ball and everything. But she says, I'm telling you, there's something, there's something wrong. The people are trying to push it. Go, it's, it's him. You see, it's him. And they deci- she said, there's something wrong. So they went to the Vilna Goyen. And the Vilna Goyen said, Tell, take this boy, this boy who wants, to, you know, who wants to marry this woman, take him to the shul where he davened the first week after he got married, and don't tell him where the seat of where he sat, and ask him to go to his seat where he sat on the first Shabbos after they were married. And he had no idea. They brought him to the shul, and he couldn't find the seat. He was draining around, and they realized that the guy's a phony, and what happened? And they came back to the guy, and they said, well, how do, you, how do you know that? He said, let me tell you. He obviously met somebody, he met the husband, and the husband gave him all the relevant information, all the nitty-gritty and everything possible that they could be interrogated. But when a person's mind is involved with Tumah, they want to get married, he wants to marry this woman, Kedusha doesn't enter such a mind. Kedusha does not go into such a mind. So therefore I knew that if they were doing something wrong, and it was a ploy just to get him to be married, that means his mind is, is dealing with Tumah, there's no way they would think about anything with Kedusha, and therefore take him to the Mokom Kedusha. And there you see, because even though he had all the information, and he should have this information too, if he really remembered, he would know this, but a mind of Tumah doesn't go to a Kedusha. So when Yaakov Avinu saw that Yosef was still involved in Egla Rufa, he saw that he was able in the moment, he knew that he was not involved in the Tumah of Mitzrayim. You could say maybe that the Gemara in Yuma says that there were three people that are Machayev. The Gemara is going to, when you come to Shemayim, they're going to ask him, Neymar so the only person will say, I was poor, I didn't have time, I was busy collecting money. So the Gemara says, Hillel, you're poorer than Hillel, and it goes on to talk about Hillel. Right? Then it says, a rich person, a rich person will say, I was too busy with my business. It's interesting that both the poor man and the rich man have the same excuse. I was busy with raising money, making more money. But anyway, the, the, and the Gemara says, you were richer than Rebbe Lezer, and it goes on to describe his wealth, and he learned. And then it says, the, Bal- the Balaveir is going to come, the Russia is going to come, and they're going to say, did you have a bigger Nassarian than Yosef? Right, and tells the story of Paitifar. So it's interesting that in, all, in the first two cases, by the Oni and the Asher, it sh- the Gemara goes on to bring a proof how they learned. And it shows them what they learned in his yeshivas and his yeshivas. By Yosef, it doesn't say that he learned. It just says the mice of Eshet uh, Paitifar. And it says that he didn't fall, he wasn't, uh, he was Oymet on the Nisoyen of Eshet Paitifar. You don't see anywhere that Yosef learned. But like I was saying, we see it very clearly, that the fact that he wasn't, uh, the fact that he was Oymet with Nisoyen, that could only be because he was involved in learning. Because since he was involved in if he was involved in Tumi, he would not be able to learn. But that's the concept. So he said, when he, when Yosef, that's why Yaakov saw, and Yaakov saw that he was still in the Egel Haruf, and he was still able to learn. So then he knew that Yosef was Oymet B'Tzitkoi. When Yaakov came down to Mitzrayim, so Paro asked him, how old are you? How old are you? So Yaakov answered him, and he says, it's a very interesting lotion. He starts off saying, Yemei Shnei Magurai, I'm here 130 years. But Ma'at V'royim Hoyu Yemei Shnei Chayecha. They're very bad years. I, I didn't have an easy life, right? V'lo and my years of Yemei Magurai, L'shnei Chayei Avoisai. They didn't reach the, the, the lifespan of my forefathers. So the Ramban asks, and he says, why is Yaakov, and we know he got punished for this, but why is... Yaakov complaining to Pare, number one. And number two, who says that he won't reach the, the lifespan of his fathers? He's not finished yet. He could still live. Where did he get this from? 
So the Malbim learns Pshat in the Posik. And he's going through the different Lashayas of Yemei Megurai. Why does it switch to Megurai and Yemei Chayai? So Malbim says a fascinating Pshat in the Posik. He says, Paro asked him, Kama Yemei Shnei Chayacha. How old are you? So Yaakov understood that when there's two, we look at life, there's two, two madregas, so to speak, of life. There's some which are called Shnei Chayacha which those are where you live the life of fulfillment, you live the life of growth, you live the life of Torah, you live the life of Yerushalayim. So that's called Shnei Chayecha. But there's another life where you happen to pass through, you're passing through, and you come out at the end, right? Like you used to say, when you go into Zichron Moshe, somehow you come out Davin Shachars, right? You don't, know, you don't know exactly how it happened, but you're Davin Shachars. So you go now, you do a, a drive every day to a certain place. You go to work in the Brooklyn every day. You don't know how you got to Brooklyn. You just end up in Brooklyn. You weren't conscious of where you, how you got there, right? That's called Magurai. Passing through life is Yemei Magurai. So Paro asked him, Kama Yemei Shnei Chayecha. How, how old? So Yaakov was telling him, you, you, you don't understand the way we look at it. You're looking at it, how old are you? All the years are the same, all the days are the same, we're just passing through. So Yaakov told him, no, 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 this is what, this is what you have to understand. He started off saying, if, if you're asking me a question, how long I'm on this world, uh, on this earth, I'm on this earth, I'm on this earth 130 years. But if you're asking me a question, so that he says, But I don't think I lived the way, I, I reached the level that I could have lived. I, I don't think I could call them Shemei Chayecha. Because of my fathers. Because I didn't reach the level that my fathers lived as far as, as Ruchni, as far as being called Shnei Chayecha, when they passed through. In other words, Yaakov was expressing to him that he was telling Parai, he wasn't complaining to Parai, right? He was saying, that you have to understand, we look at life differently. We look at life as we, ha- we have to have a fulfillment. We can't just pass through life, we have to grow. And that's what's called Shnei Chayecha. When you ask someone how old you are, you have to know, you know are you asking how old are you in the years passing through, or how many years were used, and how many were called Shnei Chayecha? Just one more thing. Um, at the end, the, the Parshat says that Yosef brought them down to Mitzrayim and he supported them in Goshen. And then it goes through a whole Thing that what happened with the knas that he took away the, 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 the lands, in other words, the, the people in Mitzrayim had to pay for food with their lands, and Yosef started owning all the people's lands, and then he moved them around from place to place, like Rashi says, he didn't want Klai Yisrael to feel goyim, so he moved them down from place to place, and the pasta continues, and it says that he put a tax on all the people of Mitzrayim, except for the Kaihanim. The Kaihanim, he didn't give a tax, and then at the end of the parsha, it goes back to Klai Yisrael, and it says Vayeshev at the last pasuk. Vayeshev, uh, they live there. Vayechazuba, Vayifruboy, and they settle there. So Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says it's like a little bit out of order. We're talking about Yosef was supporting them, and then we get into what he did, this whole financial situation, how he raised money and how he took money, and then it goes back to Vayeshev Yaakov. What, what, what's the what's the order over here? What's the, what's going on? Here? So he says that when Yaakov was coming down to Mitzrayim, Yaakov had a avtocha. From Akash Baruch who came to him, Bamaris Halayla, he came to him and he told him, don't worry, you're going to go down to Mitzrayim. Right? But now they came down to Mitzrayim and Paroi told Yosef, you can have whatever you want. Me two of Eretz Mitzrayim, take whatever you want. So Yosef was concerned that when the Kal Yisrael is going to come down, they're not going to be able to withstand the environment of Mitzrayim. They're going to get mixed in or they're going to get assimilated. They're not going to be able to survive. They're not going to be able to hold strong as Kal Yisrael. So therefore it starts off saying that he and, and, and it starts off saying that he supported them. 
And then all of these things, all of these three things that he did, he took away the, the people's land, he moved them from place to place, he put a mass on everybody except for Levi. That was all just to make sure that Klai Yisrael would be a Kiyom. Why? Because by taking away the people's lands, that means that nobody's an owner, nobody's settled, there's no culture that's, everyone, everyone's in the same position. There's no, like, we're here and you're coming into us. There was no bylam, everything was, nobody owned anything. Then he kept moving them around from place to place to take away the din of bylas. So that was, nobody should be settled, there shouldn't be an environment of, of badness. And then he went ahead and he ta- taxed everybody except for the Kaihanim, because he wanted and he knew that power later on, it says, misim, right? the work that they started doing for power was a form of tax. But Levi was exempt from working, because since the, there was a hike in the land, that the Kaihanim don't have to pay tax, so Levi was able to stay by themselves and not go to work. And the fact that there was always Levi that was stayed by themselves, and they were able to they, they were the ones that kept Kal Yisrael. They were able to stay on the Torah of Avodah. They were the ones that stayed by the Egel. They were the ones that kept it. It was all because they were established beforehand as not having to get mixed in at all with the thing. So by setting up the tax, except for the Kahanim, he was able to put away the Shevet Levi that they'll always be the one to, to have such a, such a setup. So the, it really goes in order because if you look at it, it says Yaakov, when he came down to Mitzrayim, the Agoda says he didn't want to come down there permanently. He wanted to come down there Lishtakeyasham. And yet at the end of the parasha, it says, Vayeshev, Yisrael, Vayechzu, Vayefu, it changed. They were there for many years. So he said, that's what happened. When they came down, he wasn't convinced that the Klai Yisrael would be able to withstand everything that was going on in Mitzrayim. But once Yosef set up and he explained how we could work and it will work in Mitzrayim, so that's why at the end of the parasha, it says they were able to survive. So that's what you see. You see that Yosef was able, the way to make it that we're able to survive in Golis is by keeping our boundaries, by keeping away, and not becoming assimilated. Okay. Yeah.